1 Peter 2, verses 4 to 12. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone, and a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you, as aliens and strangers in the world, to abstain from sinful desires which war against your souls. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Good morning, everyone. It is so, so good to be in the room with all of you and online with those of you who are online as well. And if you don't know me, my name's Adrian. Uh, I'll be kind of taking us through uh, this next moment as we look at um, God's Word and see how it longs to speak into your situation and my situation. And actually, as we're going to see how it wants, longs to speak into our together situation. Uh, and my hope is that if you're new around us, that you're going to feel very welcome. And if nothing else, you just leave with this amazing truth that God loves you. That's it. That's all I'd love for you to leave with, that God is for you and loves you. Uh, hopefully, we'll also get to show you that we love you and are for you as well. But uh, hopefully, the first happens. But um, today, I want to start by a question. But before I get there, I just recognize that we have this beautiful moment as we're kind of navigating this pandemic we're living with of being family together, all different ages in the room, and just recognize that sometimes I'm quite boring, and particularly boring if you're under the age of, I don't know, 80. And so um, if you're kind of under that age, I just wonder whether you've grabbed one of these two pieces of paper that are out in the foyer. One is for those who are kind of probably under the age of kind of seven, and one is a grid for those who are over the age of seven. And basically, that's hopefully to help you kind of navigate this time together. You'll be able to listen to me, uh, fill in some of the details there, but also um, in those moments where you think this is a bit boring, it just gives you something to do and keep interested. So that's there for you. Um, That is literally open to everyone, so do feel free to grab them in the foyer. Um, The first thing, though, I wanted to ask is this. Who are you? Like, how would you describe yourself to other people? My guess is that each and every one of us has found ourselves in situations where we have to reveal something about who we are. We're with a new group of people. Maybe it's a new job we've started or a neighbor that we've just met or someone we're getting to know uh, in a local shop or something. And there's a need to say something about who we are. Maybe we're about to start school and probably what we'll have to do is like, we'll be given a picture of a face and we'll have to draw on it something that reveals something of who we are as an individual. And 
To be honest, when the question comes of who are you, you can answer it in so many different ways. Like, for me, I, I can answer it in numbers of different ways in terms of my marital status, the fact I've got kids, like what I do for a profession, like what my greatest weaknesses are, what my greatest strengths are. I can do all of that. I think probably at the moment what I'd say is, who am I? Well, what I came to realize on a recent holiday in the Lake District with my family is I'm someone who enjoys going on adventures of walks and yet is unable to follow directions and cannot read a map. (laughs) However, I can use Google Maps. And all I can say is Google Maps can work at the top of mountains to find a way through. And um, it takes a bit longer but um, definitely did work. And so that's something of who I am, but I don't want to really focus on who I am or who you are as an individual, because there's a different question I want to ask, and that is, who are we? Who are we collectively together as church? Who are we as Oasis? I don't know whether you have to explain that to different people, Someone says, like, okay, so you go to church, like, what is that? Like, who are you as church? And my guess is we can sometimes jump to an answer, which is, well, who we are is I'm going to reveal by who we're not. So what we're not is we're not a building. Like, when the doors closed in March 2020 to this building, Oasis Church didn't shut You know, the numbers of people I had conversations with of, oh, yeah, the church hasn't closed because it was never the building. Maybe it's that we explain, well, well, we're not a club. We're not like a social organization. We're not a charity. We're not a business. And so often we can say who we are by who we're not. But what about, rather than just saying who we're not, actually saying, no, this is who we are. So I believe after this last 18 months of living through a pandemic, of now continuing to live with a pandemic, well, we've taken for granted some of the things we'd always been able to do and then them taken away and said, well, okay, we used to gather together as church. Now, when you can't do that, what does that mean? Like, who are we? I think it's really important that as we are able to start gathering like this together in, a, in person, as well as still online, that we ask this question like, well, who are we? Because the answer to it is profound. And in it, over the next month, we're going to answer that question not through uh, my or anyone else's kind of wisdom, but rather through the wisdom revealed through the Word of God, through this passage that we had so excellently read out to us by Charlie from uh, the letter that Peter writes, his first letter, 1 Peter. And in this chapter, kind of reveals something of, who we are together as church. See, Peter's writing to a group of believers just like you and me. And he wants them to understand something of what this life now looks like now they've based their life on Jesus. He said, actually, this transforms who you are as an individual. That Jesus' resurrection transforms everything for everyone as an individual. But he also wants them to understand, and this is where he gets to in chapter two, it's not only for them as an individual, it's also for them together. It transforms who they are, of who they are as the church, and therefore who we are as the church. 
And over the coming month, we're going to discover that as Peter highlights that who we are is we are built on Jesus. We're a spiritual house. We're a chosen people. We're a royal priesthood. Now, probably those are words that you wouldn't necessarily use to describe yourself or who we are as church to other people outside of the church. But I believe as we look into this, we begin to see the rich privilege that we to live with, a language of how we can then express that to people who may not know what we're talking about, but also the deep sense of responsibility that comes out of that privilege. This isn't just so we can pat ourselves on the back and think, man, look at who we are. It's that we're here for purpose. That's what I believe we're going to discover over this coming month. And in it, what I believe as we live that privilege and that responsibility, it's going to birth in us this deep, profound joy of who we are. That as we come into this room and see others, as we may be online and see other people in the chat, and I'd encourage you at this moment, say hello in the chat so people know there are others with you, that in those moments we get to remember, oh no, this isn't about me, it's about us, it's about we. And so my hope is that we're going to find this deep, profound joy over this coming weeks. But just a couple of extra notes, really. First one is this. What we're going to be looking at and we're going to be applying is to us here as Oasis. But the reality is, all that I'm about to share is true for every expression of the church everywhere throughout all time across the planet. Therefore, that changes and challenges us in how we see and speak of other churches. What's true for us is true for them. That's good news. Also, what we can discover is what we look at of who we are together will have deep impacts of how we live as individuals. And therefore, I want to invite you to say, God, as I've based my life on Jesus, or maybe you're looking in saying, I'm wondering what this looks like that we're invited in to say, Jesus, I want you to shape more of my life in order that I can play the part in Menu in respect to who we are together. But to start off this week then, I want to look at the fact that we're built on Jesus. Built on Jesus. 1 Peter 2.4 says this, You are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. And you are living stones that God is building into a spiritual temple. See, Paul says, like, part of who we are is we are a building. And we're going to look at that next week. Not a physical structure, but a building made up of us. But before we get to the building, which we will look at next week, we have to understand that this building is built on one person and one person only, and that is Jesus. We are built together on Jesus. And Paul says, Jesus is the cornerstone of our building. Like, what is a cornerstone? Well, let me explain, like, for Peter, in the ancient times that he was speaking to, 
they constructed buildings differently to us. They didn't have big cranes and scaffolding and high-vis jackets. They'd rather come, and when they were going to build a building, they'd get a huge stone, which would be the cornerstone. And that stone would be the one that was first placed. It would be measured exactly as to where it was going to be placed, because where that stone was placed, everything else of that building would be founded on and be defined by. And so if that built block was placed slightly misshaped, it would then cause everything else to be built on it unstably. It would cause it to be disjointed. But rather, if it was built in a way that was right and true, it would cause everything to be built on it secure. It wouldn't be shaken. It also caused everything that was being built from that place, that cornerstone, to be defined, to be shaped by that cornerstone. And Peter says, that's who Jesus is to us. He's the foundation. He's the defining one for everything of the structure that we are being built to be. But why does he say cornerstone? Is it like a good illustration? Is it one of those ones where he thinks, I think this will be timeless, like people are always going to know what I'm talking about. Jesus, the cornerstone, you're a building. No, no, it's, he says why cornerstone. It's because he wants us to understand that Jesus is the one who was always promised. This isn't him picking an illustration out of nowhere. This is Peter picking an illustration that is birthed and earthed in the Old Testament the part of the word of God that's before Jesus, the part of the Bible that's before Jesus, where God speaks through prophets and says, hey, there's going to come one who's going to be a cornerstone on which I will build something totally new. A new creation will emerge from this stone. As we find that Peter within this passage kind of sandwiches these promises that were there, like hyperlinks. We haven't got time to look at all of them now, but you can find the first one. It's like hyperlink to Isaiah 28, 16. The second one is then when he says, quotes in scripture, it says, then Psalm 118, 22. And then the last one is Isaiah 8, 14. You can go away and look it up and see if I was telling the truth. But Peter's saying like, This is something that God had promised and is now fulfilled. Fulfilled in Jesus. But you can then think, man, Peter was smart. He was like looking and like making sense of it. No, Peter wasn't always smart. You only have to look at the stories of Peter's life. He was a lot like me. He got it really right sometimes and really wrong sometimes. But one of the things he did know is he was around when Jesus himself said that he was the cornerstone. He was there when Jesus was speaking, having told a story with some religious leaders. And then he cites Psalm 118 and says, hey, the the stone the builders have rejected will become the cornerstone. Like Peter had this knowledge, this voice of Jesus rattling around in his mind of thinking, all right, Jesus has said himself that he was that, the one who was going to be rejected. I've seen him rejected. I saw him crucified. And then I saw him resurrected. Resurrected in order that he could become the cornerstone. So Peter looks back and says, hey, the fulfillment has come. That Jesus, through his life, his death, and his resurrection, is the one that God has honored, 
God sees as precious. And the Father says, now from this one, Jesus, I will build all from. A whole new creation, a whole new building. In order that we would know that we're founded on Jesus. But the thing of that is that then becomes something that feels immovable, which is good, it's secure. But it feels like it's just done. Like something that's just in the past isn't necessarily alive to the now and the future. And so Peter says something surprising. He says, oh no, this cornerstone that was promised that is Jesus is a living cornerstone. Man, that's mind-bending. We've got solid boxes here. If I was now to say, oh, they're not just solid boxes. Sorry online, I'm realizing I'm dancing around the shop. I'm back. Um, that it, that it if I was then to say, no, these boxes aren't just simply inanimate. They're not just simply there, just cardboard, dead. We're not expecting anything. But I said, oh, no, they're living. And at this point, they started to move upon their own shape. They started to reform things. You'd be like, what on earth is going there? I don't understand that. Like, a box that's living? And Peter says, no, no, what I'm talking about isn't like physical things. I'm talking about a stone that is living because Jesus isn't just something of the past. He's here in the present and the future because he's resurrected. He is alive. And that changes everything. Because what it means, and if you've got your sheets, if you're here at a certain age, you're filling in, you're thinking, when's he going to say these words? It's at this point. See, Jesus, the living capstone means, or living stone, is that he is one that we are founded on. He's the foundation. He defines everything of who we are and who we can be. That's why in 1 Peter Chapter 1, 3, Peter says this, it is by his great mercy, that's the Father, that we have been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation. The basis of our life, the basis of our hope isn't on something that might happen, it's on something that has happened. A resurrected Jesus promises you and I an eternal living hope that our life will be forever with God governed by his love. But it's not only that this living stone provides us a foundation for our life, it also becomes this living stone that defines our life. He's the architect. The architect of the shape of the building that we are, how we live together, how we reveal what we are together to others around. But also this living stone as the architect isn't simply working through us, he's also seeking to build others in. How's that? That's amazing, isn't it? It's like Jesus is continuously looking to build others upon himself to know the hope that you and I know. Foundation, architect, also the sustainer. This living stone is one who then provides everything we need to live in the good of the life that he affords us. It isn't down to us provides all that we need through his Holy Spirit. And you see, knowing that we are built on Jesus, knowing that we are built on this living cornerstone is to impact how we then live. Impacts who we are. 
It impacts who we are because it impacts us knowing that we're all about Jesus. It impacts us knowing how we see ourselves, how we see each other, and how we seek to invite others in. See, in terms of that impact of it's all about Jesus, who we are as built on Jesus means that Oasis Church isn't about you and it isn't about me. It's about Jesus. He's the one that we want to make known. He's the one that we celebrate in. Why? Because we collectively are built on him. He's our foundation. We're defined by him. We are sustained by him. Therefore, who cares about Adrian Hurst? It's all about Jesus. And doesn't that liberate us? It isn't that we've got to work hard at being cooler, being more hipster, getting the right coffee, making sure that we're kind of presenting something that it feels like this is quite cool and good. No. Who cares about that? Because what we're building is something that's built on Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's not about the coffee. It's not about the chairs. It's not about the building. It's not about how trendy someone at the front may or may not look. The fact I've used that word trendy shows how untrendy I am. It's all about Jesus. That liberates us, doesn't it? It means we don't have to think this is down to me. He's the saviour, I'm not. He's the messiah, I'm not. He's the rescuer, I'm not. And neither are you. It's all about Jesus. Secondly, it transforms how you and I live. It's how we see ourselves. See, we get to see ourselves as those who have founded on Jesus. I love how Peter says in this passage that he says in verse 5 of chapter 2, like, we are now not disgraced because of our founding on Jesus. There's no shame. Like, we are those that live unconditionally loved and accepted, have nothing to prove. People sometimes come and say, why do you keep banging on about this? Well, because I meet time and time again people who founded their life on Jesus and yet still live with a life of I've got something to prove, I'm still ashamed of that and who I am. No, no, the foundation of Jesus says, no shame, forever loved, forever accepted, nothing to prove. But it's only, only that it shapes our foundation. It also shapes then how I'm defined. I get to live my life, as John Mark Comer puts it, as Jesus would. Like, you and I get to live our lives as though Jesus was living our life. What does that mean? It means that we get to live seeking to say, what does it mean for me to love God? How am I going to seek to honor and reveal God through my life today? How am I going to seek to love people? How am I going to seek to work for others best through the words I speak and the actions that I take? It gives us this deep sense of purpose because of who we are together. But it's not only that we're founded and defined, it's also that we're then sustained. It isn't that we're then thinking daily, oh man, oh, better be like Jesus is in my life. Adrian banged on about that. Better, oh, Yes, all for you, God. Oh, better make someone a cup of tea. I'll get in there first, just because it will show that I really love them. No, no, it's that daily we come and we say, Jesus, 
I'm defined by you. I'm founded on you. Nothing to prove. I get to live like you were living my life, loving God, loving people. And I do it because you are going to sustain. You have everything I need for today. I don't need cereal. I don't need toast. I don't need bacon. I don't need waffles. I don't need pancakes. I need Jesus. And you don't have to be in my house between 6 and 7 a.m. to realize how much I need Jesus. My wife says, amen, because that's the truth. I need to come and say, Jesus, give me everything for today. But it doesn't just transform how we see ourselves. It transforms how we see each other, how we see others. Because here's the truth. We are together built on Jesus. We all come with the same need. We all come being shaped in the same way. We all come being sustained in the same way. Do you know what that does is it kills, and I use that word properly, it kills competition and comparison. Because i tell you what competition and comparison do is they kill. They kill you. They kill me. And what Jesus does is, no, you're built on me, therefore there's no competition and comparison here. There's a celebration. A celebration of the fact I'm in a room with people who are not like me. That's good news. It really is. And that means that they're built on Jesus as I'm being built on Jesus. I celebrate in that fact. I don't compare or compete. I celebrate. I get to say to others, isn't it amazing that it's all because of Jesus? Oh man, surely if I go around saying that, people are thinking, you're taking this a bit seriously, aren't you? No, I think we're just living of who we are. And what would it be like if as we arrived in the morning, we say, man, isn't it so good it's Jesus, not us? Isn't it so good you're here because of Jesus? Isn't it so good I'm here because of Jesus? Transforms how we see each other. It also transforms how we invite others in. How we invite others in. You see, suddenly we realize that it's Jesus who builds and he welcomes everyone. Then you have to look around this room. Like, we're all different. He welcomes everyone. Therefore, we get to do that as well. We get to be those who say, actually, everyone I come into contact with needs to know what I know. They need their life built on Jesus. Therefore, I get to welcome others in. Here's the amazing thing, though. Remember who he is as the cornerstone, the living one? He's the architect, defining the shape, bringing in the new building blocks. Jesus builds it. We just partner He's already at work in people's lives that you know. And he wants to partner with you and with me to see them built in. And all we have to do is say, hey, Jesus, where are you building today? And he says, let me show you. So I'm in a supermarket, I'm not going to name which one, on Friday. And as I'm there, there's someone I know who's there, who works there. We're talking. And suddenly, the whole queue gets held up because they need to tell me about what's going on in their life. I'm feeling bad for everyone else because this supermarket is known for the speed of their checkouts. <laughs> everyone else is looking at me. But I know that they need to share what's going on. So I just listen to them. Because I suddenly realize I wasn't expecting it, but Jesus, you're working here. You're building here. You're going to build her in. Just to find who this gender is. But this, they're going to be built in. So what do I do? I just listen and listen to their story, listen to the suffering, listen to what the need is. And then I don't at the end say, you need to be built on Jesus. But you know what I do? I just say, thanks so much for sharing. Just know I'm going to be praying for you. Because I know that this is a building project. 
that Jesus is at work and he's going to do it at his pace. And I get the beauty of just seeing this person once a week and I just get to talk and share and in between pray. It is a privilege to be who we are built on Jesus. But there is a responsibility. Can I leave us just with a few questions to consider? And I'm going to hand over to Rod and the band who are just going to help us just respond to this moment. The first question is this, and this may not make any sense. I've just realized as I typed it, it may not have. Hopefully it's been made sense of. But how I put it is like this. Would you like to explore more this life built on Jesus? Maybe you're in the room. Maybe you're online. At this point in time, you say, no, I've not built my life on Jesus. But I'd love to see more of what it looks like. Or either come and speak to me at the end or like contact me, adrian at theoasischurch.com as I would love to continue some conversations of how you could build your life on Jesus. But for many of us, we have. And for me, these questions next are for you. Have we lost sight of being built on Jesus? And are we looking to other things? If we are, can I encourage us? Let's be quick to return as he always longs to receive us. How are we viewing others we are being built on Jesus with? Are we competing? Are we comparing? Let's kill it. We're all built on Jesus. And then lastly, who is Jesus putting on our heart to pray, to invite in? Let's be praying. What I ask us to do now is, should we just stand if we're in the room? Maybe you want to stand at home, wherever you are. And just so we stand, I'm going to hand over to Rod. He's going to lead us in a song of response. And what I want us to do is as we sing this song, it's a way of just saying as a prayer, Jesus, I want to come and say, I want to build everything on you. I thank you for the wonder of who you are. And we want to be all about you. Thank you for listening.